listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Okay, yeah, the time has come to start the series. Last week, we did the intro to the series, which was basically me telling you my story. Uh, We're doing this series. It's called The Creative Career Path. And uh, I wanted to give you my story, my big fat story last episode, episode 170. And, And all of these episodes in this series can stand alone, but I think they work best uh, in order. So you should listen to 172 if you're listening to this one, episode 171. And last episode, I told you about how I got to where I am and what I'm doing now and the ups and downs and the struggles and the big massive breakthroughs. And this system is basically a codified version of what happened to me from me looking back at the breakthroughs in the process and then also comparing and contrasting those patterns in my life with the patterns of other consistently successful creatives, people that have been able to turn their creativity into a career. And that's what this system is. That's what the creative career path is. So this episode, here's what we're going to do. You can tell I'm jazzed. I'm super jazzed out of my mind right now uh, because I've been waiting for so freaking long to share this with you. I've been working on the creative career path literally, I kid you not, for probably three years. I've been trying to get the right order of steps and make sure I'm not missing anything, figure out the right analogies, figure out how to explain it, uh, figure out what the missing pieces are. And I've had some major breakthroughs when I was teaching at the art school in, in my town and when I was teaching my MFBA class. And then even after that, I've been tinkering and working on it and, I'm, and it's ready to roll and I'm excited and I've been wanting to share this with you guys for so long. And I put it off because I was working on it, trying to make it into a book, but I can't wait any longer and I'm so pumped to have it ready to go. So here it is. Now, here's, here's what we're going to do in this episode. I'm going to start with saying 
kind of the, the overview idea of like, what is the creative career path? Um, and then I'm going to go into step one of the, uh, of the seven steps. And then we'll do a little wrap up sesh. Um, and the end of session one also will have like a little assignment if you so choose to say yes to the adventure that is step one's assignment. Um, so that's what we're going to do. And uh, it's going to be chock full of jazz. So get, so buckle up. Um, all right. So what is the creative career path? The creative career path is a seven step process for systematic creative career progress and breakthrough. It's a, it's a, in the same way that a scientific process is a method for enabling uh, scientific breakthrough on it's on as regular occasion as possible so that you're not shooting in the dark. So you're not going randomly uh, through the wilderness of science and, and just randomly stumbling upon breakthroughs. This is a systematic way to, to figure out where you are on your path, where you need to go next and how to get there make a plan of action to get there. And, uh, and you think about it like Dave Ramsey has a system of steps to get out of debt. This is Dr. Pizza's seven step plan for creative career success. That's the idea of what this is. Um, and I, it works. I've worked on it with, um, it's, it's a, it's a thing that you can use over and over again. Like you use it, uh, and it takes a season of your time. I'd say it takes about six months to a year to go through the process fully in your own life. And then after you've done it, it's a thing that you do all over again. So you just like a scientific uh, process where you're saying, maybe this is the cure for this illness and you run it through the scientific process and you do all the testing and collect the data and all that jazz. And then if it is the, if maybe it gets you, maybe it's not the cure, maybe it gets you closer to the cure, or maybe it is the cure. And either way, you're going to press on or pivot, right? So that you just use it over and over again. Um, so it's kind of uh, evergreen in that way. And it's a system I've worked with people on in classes, one-on-one -on -one sessions, and in my uh, online class and seen it help people make systematic progress. It is a system that I go back to all the time when I'm lacking clarity, when I'm feeling lost, when I don't know what my next steps are. I look to this system and it helps ground me and figure out what to do next. And it's worked over and over. I've done this system and this process that includes, uh, you know, figuring out where I'm trying to head, what my goal is, what kind of work I need to make to get there. I've done this process in my own career probably six or seven times. And it, I kid you not, it is the thing that I think is responsible for why I am, am where I am today. Um, and why, uh, if you think about it as a way to get breakthroughs towards finding that sweet spot of the perfect balance of what you're gifted to do and what people want from you and getting closer and closer to that sweet spot where the thing that you do is bursting from you and people are like, yeah, give me more of that. And it's amazing relationship. And, and I feel like every time I've gone through this process, it's enabled me to systematically get one step closer to that place. And, uh, that's what it is. It's a system for doing that. I'll give you those quick overview of it right now. Now, most of this is probably not going to make sense right now. Um, and that's why we're doing a series and you're going to have to just go through the steps. I'm probably going to do, uh, probably two steps per episode. This episode only has one step cause it's also got the intro, but basically we've got step one is define your industry. Step two is your market, which is finding where you fit in that industry. Step three is carving out a niche. It's your niche. It's how you stand out in that market. Step four is defining a goal that summarizes all three of steps one through three, your industry market and niche, the perfect goal on that path. Step four, no, that was step four. Step five is def uh, develop a project that is perfectly tailored, that is reverse engineered from that goal. Uh, 
and uh, it's a and develop a personal project. That's step five. Step six is find the weakest link and direct market to it. So find the break in area where the easiest place to make a breakthrough in your industry market and niche is and directly contact them and market to them. Step, I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm like out of breath. I'm speaking super fast. I'm feeling so excited. Um, step seven is press on or pivot. And it's where you reassess. It's after everything's been said and done. You've done the work. You've done the marketing. You've done everything. And you look over what's been, uh, what's, where the chips have fallen. And you say, I need to press on in this direction. My, the sweet spot that I'm heading for, the thing I'm trying to do with my life, with my creative career, uh, is on the path that I'm on. And I just need to do another project in that direction with slight tweaks based on the new information I have, or I need to completely pivot in a slightly different direction or a majorly different direction, whether that means a different industry, a different market, a different take on your niche, whatever. That's the big overview And if it doesn't make sense yet, that's totally fine because we're going to go deep into it over the next couple episodes. All right. So that's the, that's the quick, uh, what is the creative career path? I'm going to do a little bit more of that and just kind of, uh, clarify a little bit more about the whole idea of the process. And then we're going to go into step one. So why do we need the creative career path? Why do we need to add this layer of logic to the magic of being a creative person? We love the romance and the magic of creativity. And I'll give you something right now. Nobody loves the freaking magic of creativity like me. The magic of, you know, I was watching uh, uh, some comedy specials last night and watching these masters of their craft just spit magic and you know this storytelling that has these layers and these twists and turns and this you know the literary poetry of the whole thing and i'm might i'm like in euphoria under the magic spell of what it is to be a creative person and a and have this mastery of your craft nobody is crazier about that but i think that there's a massive myth and i think we're in a weird time a great time for creativity i think it's like right when hogwarts was established in the magic world are you with me like there was a time when uh there was no hogwarts there were no schools for magicians now i get it i'm talking almost like hogwarts is real but in my heart it is and so that's why i'm speaking from the heart and that's why it sounds like that But uh, think about it, like there was a time before Hogwarts was established, before there were these systems and structures and these these textbooks and, and, and I imagine it was the Wild West before that in its own way, probably had beautiful things about it. But I guarantee you, the most powerful wizards came after Hogwarts was established. And that after Hogwarts was established, it, it was be- more wizards and witches were... Uh, found their true calling and lived their best life. And I guarantee you when people, when these wizards were setting up this school of magic, that there were tons of wizards about that were like, oh, you're going to ruin magic. There's no rules in magic. There's no logic in magic. It's, it doesn't work like that. It's magic. It's not science, but there is a science to magic. I was just talking to my buddy, Kyle Sheely, and he said, uh, it's like Hermione, uh, pontificating and correcting her fellow students saying it's not uh, Leviosa, it's Leviosa. And it, if you say it slightly wrong, you don't hit the magic. And that's the amazing thing about learning the structure and learning the process of creativity and injecting a little bit of that logical side. Like, like creativity is not, it's subjective, but it's subjective in the same way that food is subjective. If your chicken is raw, it's not subjective. It's going to kill you. It's going to make you sick. Like, yes, taste and what your palate likes and, and all that jazz. Like, yeah, that's true. It's, there's no like fact or fiction. There's no exact truth or false when it comes to whether 
hummus is delicious, although I think that's a fact. I'm crazy about hummus. Here's a little pro tip about hummus. Add sriracha. Dude, I eat it every day. It's one of my favorite things in the universe. I can't believe that um, that's not just a staple of our diet, sriracha and hummus. Anyway, that's a fact. That's fantastic. But there is, it's not binary. It's not art is objective or subjective. Uh, it's, it's a gray, there's objective side and there's a subjective side, just like food and just like science. We think science is completely objective, but so many scientific discoveries happened through sheer chance and magic and accident and weirdness and stuff that doesn't make any sense. And I think in the same way, we're in this interesting time with creativity, especially those that want to be masters of what we do and do it for a living. We are in a fascinating time where we're establishing the schools, we're understanding the structures, the rules that allow us to break the rules in interesting ways. And so I think we're in this super interesting time and I think that that's why we're about to see the most creative people that ever walked the face of the earth. Um, and, uh, and so I'm excited about that and that's what this is about. And, and so this is the structure I believe that will help you make systematic breakthroughs in your career. And I think of it like, I want you to think of this as your handbook for the maze of the creative career path. It's not a cheat sheet, it won't give you a shortcut, but it will help you as a walkthrough through the video game of the creative career. And it's this idea that uh, it's a map of the maze, but it's also, a the mall map sticker that says you are here in the map because if you have a map and you have no idea where you are then uh it's not going to be very helpful and this process is meant to help you ask the right questions and give you the right framework to not only see the big picture but understand where you fit where are you stuck what part are you missing and that level of self-awareness will help you get unstuck and find some clarity and, and get out of this state of being lost. That's the main thing about this whole process is that so many of us in our creative careers just feel completely lost, taking random shots in the dark. You know, every project we do is just a random whim, like this kind of feels like a cool thing I could do, but it doesn't necessarily create systematic pro progress. And for me, if I compare the the... Um, the past two uh, projects, self-initiated projects I've done, you know, in the past couple of years versus the ones I did six or seven years ago, this process and this knowledge and these ideas have allowed me to create so much more poignant strategic projects that really get the results that I'm looking for. And it's give these, these ideas and this framework has helped me get that self-awareness, get that you are here mall map sticker thing where I'm saying, okay, I'm, I, oh, I got out of sorts, I'm all lost. Let me check this process and say, where am I? And it's also supposed to be like this thing where I feel like so many creatives were like ants on a dot to dot page looking randomly scurrying about on this page, you know, stuck with our face right on the page trying to find this next dot. And I feel like we can wander for years. Have you ever felt like you were taking random shots in the dark with your personal work, with the stuff you're making, with the way that you're marketing yourself, just randomly praying and spraying with your marketing efforts and, and the things that you're doing. And you don't really know if you're making any progress and year after year, you're still searching for that next dot. And, uh, and, and this process is supposed to lift you up off the page so you can be not an ant, but like a kid looking at a dot to dot, seeing the dots that you've already connected and ultimately getting a sense of the big picture and what's going to happen next. And that's what this process is supposed to help you do. Now, last thing I'm going to say, listen guys, for you podcast listeners who are bonkers about this podcast and have been listening since day one. I'm about to talk about the tower story. Now listen, I know you've heard the tower story. If any of you want to hear the tower story in full, just go back to any, any episode, every three episodes I tell this story. 
<laughs> not really, but it feels like that. And I know it's my favorite story. I'm not going to tell it in extreme detail this time around, but it, it serves the purpose of the power of having a clear target and how it gives you clarity in everything that you do. And, and the goal that we're going to come up with is going to be our target and it's made up of the first three levels. The goal is step four. I know it's complicated. But trust me, we're going to get there. You just got to walk each step through it and we'll get there. We'll get that clarity. The goal is going to be our tower on the horizon, the target, and it's made up of steps one through three, industry, market, and niche. And it's going to help us find our way and get a sense of direction. And here's my quick tower story. When I was in England, I got into jogging and uh, one day I go out for a jog and I'm like in the, I'm almost going into the deep story. I can't help it because I think about living in England and I lived in the hills of Yorkshire in Thurstonland and it was this gorgeous, vast countryside that looks like Mordor. I don't know if that's good or bad. It looks like the Lord of the Rings. Mordor sounds like it's maybe the bad part of Lord of the Rings. I'm not an expert on Lord of the Rings, but it looks like these giant crazy hills, like the Shire maybe. How about that? Um, and I'm, and I get swept up in the romance of, of running and I've started to like run three miles a day and I'm feeling confident and I see this giant tower on the horizon and I can't remember if it had a burning eye on the top or not, but I feel like in my memory it did. It was that epic. I'm like, I'm going to run to that tower today. And, uh, (laughs) I always say I felt like Whitney Houston at the time. You know, I want to run to you. That's what I felt like about this tower. I wanted to get to this tower for some random reason. Now, I had a flawless strategy that completely worked. It just said this tower is so massive. In fact, I found out later it's called Emily Moore Mast. You can go Google it and see how big this tower is. And, uh, and it is the biggest freestanding structure in the UK. And uh, it's massive. And I, it was so massive, I thought, from anywhere on the horizon, I'll be able to see it. And even if I can, it'll help me know which path to take next. And then if that path starts veering off the wrong way, I will not press on and I'll pivot to a different path that looks like it's pointing to the tower. And eventually, even if I make some mistakes, even if I don't get everything right, eventually I will get to my goal. I will get to the tower because I can see it so clearly on the horizon. And so I jogged and jogged and jogged and it took me like hours and hours and hours, probably way longer it should. I'm not really good at jogging, but it was like, I think it ended up being 10 or 11 miles. And I got to the tower and I celebrated and the plan worked. And that is the power of clarity in a target. And we're going to talk about that today. If you are doing creative work and you have no idea what the value of your creative work is, if you don't know what you're trying to do, what are you trying to provide for the people paying you, you are not going to be good at at hitting that target. If you don't have a clear target in your career, you have no idea where you're going to go. It is really easy to end up in places that you never want to be. It is completely random. If you leave it up to chance, you have no clear target. It's completely random whether you end up somewhere that you actually want to be. And those lottery winners, these people in their creative careers that random, we love hearing their stories of, I didn't know, next thing I knew, fairy art mother showed up and I was living the dream. And we're like, see dad, it's all going to be fine. But that is like the less than 0.001% of artists. But we just like hearing their stories. So they're the stories that we think about. But there are tons of people in your city, in your town, in this country, in the world, living their dream, loving what they're doing, making what they're making, what they're spending their time on, that had a goal, that systematically worked for it, and they worked for that paycheck little by little instead of waiting to win the creative career lottery. And they did it by having a clear target and reverse engineering the path to get there. And uh, and actually, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this later, but... I didn't have that tower on the way home. I didn't, I forgot that my house is not the tallest freestanding structure in the UK. And therefore, on the way back, I got terribly lost. And so, if that feels like you today, if you feel like I am so confused, I have no idea what I'm doing, I feel like I'm taking shots in the dark, I don't know if I'm making any progress, I have no tower, and I'm stuck on a countryside road in the middle of the UK in a foreign land, sweaty with 
a cutoff t-shirt uh, and blisters on my feet. If that's you, this process is for you and let's get to step one, baby. Okay, so you said yes to the call to adventure last episode. You said, I'm, I'm going in, I'm going through the maze. I know it's going to be hard. I know there's going to be big questions and I have to work through things, but I'm ready to do it. So you walk into the maze, the creative career path maze, and you're walking around. You're like, all right, I'm going to do it. You run this way. You're like jogging and you trip and fall into a pit and you get up out of the pit. You're running this way. No, that's a dead end. You're going this way. And then you just work yourself into a tizzy, not making any progress, doing the trial and error thing and just find yourself completely lost and you fall back on your back and it's there that you see the tip of the creative career path tower peeking out over the hedge maze, just the top of the tower. And the top of the tower is step one, it is the industry. It's the first part you gotta see before we can get any further in the maze. It is defining your industry. And your industry is the big group of people that have congregated around uh, a place where there are that you can make a profit on this creativity, you can make money. And it means that this type of art, this type of creativity has some kind of inherent value to people. Now, uh, the first, what you have to do to get past this part in the maze is you have to know what's good. And I don't mean like Nicki Minaj, what's good, her, her phrase, I think she coined. I mean, what's good? What does it mean to make good work in your industry? If you're an illustrator, if you're a pop musician, if you're a designer, if you're in branding, if you're a fiction writer, these are all industries. These are the big overarching group that you are a part of because of your gift. Because you're a magician, your industry is Hogwarts. You go to Hogwarts because your gift is magic. You, if your gift is making pictures, you are in the industry of illustration. If your gift is writing novels, you're in the fiction writer's industry, right? It's the big thing in the industry. And you probably know, you have to know what your industry is. It's not a massive question on what it is. The big question is, why is it? Because you might know what's weird about you, what it is that you do. But if you don't know why you do it, it's irrelevant. If you have something weird about you that, that helps other people and it has a why, they call it a superpower. That weird thing that he does, he climbs on walls and sprays web everywhere. Like, like if, if he didn't do that, if, if all of the action didn't actually help anybody, Spider-Man wouldn't be a superhero. He'd just be abnormal. And the same goes for, if you think about like your crazy drawing habit, maybe that's your gift. You just draw, 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 draw. If nobody wants what you're drawing, you don't have a superpower. You have an abnormality. You are the kid on Stranger Things in season two where he's just drawing and drawing and drawing and filling up his whole house with drawings and it's just weird and nobody knows what the heck is going on for a long time. We're trying to get to the moment where Bob comes in. Sorry, spoiler alert. Holy crap, I'm about to give away only something minor. But Bob comes in and figures out what these drawings are. Oh, don't get mad at me. You, you had time to watch it, all right? Uh, but, but, but we're looking for the moment, not just what your gift is, but why is it? Why are you drawing these things? What do people get out of it? Why does your industry exist? And the answer lies in what's good. Defining what is good illustration? What is good pop music? What is good design? And you can break the rules in meaningful ways once you understand them, but you can't, you, you will, unless you have that clear target, it's always going to be shots in the dark and, and whether you can hit them or not is completely random. And so if you're a magician, you go to Hogwarts, we're going to get to the step next. We're going to talk about which house 
you're in in Hogwarts within the big field of magic. Where are your people? That's called your market. So we'll get more specific. You know, if you're, we're talking about the industry of pop music, what's your genre? That's step two, that genre market house in, in Hogwarts where you get specific about where it fits. But we're right now, we're just talking about the broad idea of your gift. And, uh, okay. So how do you get to see the top of the tower? The first part that will lead you out of the first part of the maze. You have to, uh, define what's good by saying, and I think it comes from, uh, studying the problem that it's solving. I think it's like the vaccine principle that I talk about sometimes, which is like the solution is found by studying the problem. So you ask yourself, what is this art that I do? What does it do for people? What problem does it solve? Maybe it helps them escape. Maybe it makes, uh, you know, entertains them. Maybe it expresses feelings that they didn't know they had. And maybe it's cathartic in that way. For me, as an illustrator, I realized that what an illustration illustrator do, I talked about this in the last episode, what they do is they take an abstract concept and they make it super concrete and clear. So whether that's a body of text for a kid's book or if it's a, uh, the New York Times, you're taking an article, you're taking a text, you're taking an idea and, and you're making a picture that makes it really clear. And I do the same thing in my talks. If I have a concept that's kind of abstract, you can create an illustration, AKA an analogy that helps you hold on to it and makes it clear. And so for me, this level of clarity, defining the purpose, the why of my industry changes everything. It helps me gain clarity at the first part of every part of my journey. Not only the big part of my journey, but the small individual case by case. When I do an episode uh, of the podcast and I have to make artwork for the podcast, man, woo. I'm just, I got to just shake it up for a minute because I was getting too in the zone and that just gets a little bit freaky. So here's what it is. When I have an episode of the art uh, for episode of the podcast that I have to do art for, or I have a magazine illustration, or I have a book illustration, or I have an illustration to do for Instagram, whether it's for me or for a client, I often start with, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. Should it be conceptual? Should it be a literal illustration? Should it be really decorative? Should it be, you know, all of those massive questions. But when I start back with, well, the purpose of this thing is supposed to be make this abstract idea, this message that they have and just make it super clear. Now, if I want to make it super clear, it might mean if it's on Instagram, it also needs to be, uh, jazzy to get people's attention. Cause that's part of making it clear to people because you can't speak to them unless they're paying attention to you. Or it might mean, um, it, it all in all, it gives me complete clarity every time that says, this concept that I have does making a literal illustration where I'm just literally illustrating the text to saying, Oh, this story is about scientists working in a lab with a microscope. Does that get the point across as well as uh, a conceptual one And whichever one the answer is, that's the one I go with. And it's the thing that gets me through the first part of the maze. And so I, and if I asked you and you were a pop musician back to Jack Antonoff, we were talking about him. He's someone who exemplifies the creative career path to me. Um, if I asked him, he's a pop musician. What's good. What's the definition of a pop song? What does it need to do? I guarantee you someone with that level of craft could give me five things. These are the five things that typically make good pop music. This is the definition. Not always. It's, it is magic. We're talking about, we're talking about Hogwarts, baby. It is magic, but it's not devoid of logic. And so he would have an answer, that kind of craftsman. And what's your answer? What's the definition of good design? What's the definition of good branding? What's the definition of good fiction writing? And I think ultimately you should be working through this journey, trying to get clearer and clearer and boil it down to as few words as possible, you know, one definition, but to get started on this process, here is my homework for you. I think there's two, uh, I think that there's two industries that have become, that are so clear about the, their purpose. 
the first one, the most obvious one is comedy. The purpose is to make people laugh. Ultimately, that's the, that's the big picture definition of good comedy. Comedy can't be good if no one's laughing, right? So it's super clear. And because of that, because they have such a clear target, that's why you have such master craftsmen in that field. And then in the design world where it's not as obvious, like it's not obvious, like design doesn't have a gut, obvious, audible reaction that you're supposed to be getting from a design, from a logo. Like every logo is not supposed to make you cry or laugh or whatever, right? Because it's more esoteric, but because they, designers are so systematic, they have over the years attempted to clearly define what is good design. And we're going to take their lead no matter what industry you're in. And even if you're a designer, I challenge you to in pencil, so you can go back and add and, and change things as you go through the journey, make your own definition of what's good, your own version that you own, that you believe in, that moves and stirs your soul because it will be your guiding North Star through this whole journey, this top of the tower, the peak of the tower, the eye of the tower. You have your own definition. And so designers, a great example, Frank Chimero, Camaro, I don't know. The thing about that is that I don't know what to call him because he, he said himself, I heard him in a talk say, you could say it either way, which makes me feel weird every time I say either way. But he did a talk called The Shape of Design where he talks about, and it's on Vimeo, you can go check it out. He tries to define what is design beyond just problem solving. And he comes up with some super massive aha breakthroughs, just in the same way that I did about illustration. And we're going to take the lead of Dieter Rams, who was the head of design for Braun, the products that ended up inspiring the wave of Apple products over the past 15 to 20 years, by the way. Um, pioneer product designer, uh, top of the field, godfather of product design in lots of people's eyes. He had... The top 10 things that define what's good in design. Those aren't his words. Those are my words. But that's what he did. He made a list of these are the, two, the 10 things that define good design. I'm not going to make you do that. I'm going I'm to cut it in half because none of us are data rams and say, what are the five things? Let's start there. List five things that you think define good work in your industry. Uh, and, and that is your homework. And, and don't get, don't overthink it. Use pencil so you can go back and change it. And ultimately, I'm encouraging you over the next five to 10 years to shift that list of five into a list of one, into a clear idea of like, this is what I think good music is, good illustration is, good whatever your industry is. And if you can find that definition that moves you, that guides you, you will be already well on your way. So, Steve Martin, you may not know, was like a comedy legend, not just in film, but he had this uh, run of being a stand-up comedian where he was changing the game completely and stand-up comedians are crazy about uh, Steve Martin in this time. And uh, he was asked, how, how do you break into Hollywood? And he said, be so good that they can't ignore you. And the problem with that advice is you've got to have a definition of good to, to get good. You got to know what the target is, right? And uh, that's what this whole episode is about and what the first part of the maze is about. And it's so essential that you dedicate yourself to understanding what you mean by good uh, and how to achieve it. And if that's so clearly uh, game-changing, then why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? If we know that we have to uh, know what's good to be able to, to deliver the goods consistently to succeed, then why don't we do it? I think there's three reasons why we hide. I think the first one is that we hide in the subjectivity of creativity. Uh, the, we hide in the, this idea that 
subject that things in life are binary, that math is objective and creativity is subjective. So you can't put value metrics, you can't use metrics at all to grade uh, creativity. But I think, uh, and I think the reason we hide in this world is because it's safe. It's safe to say there is no way that you can grade my paper. Because if you can't grade it, you can't fail me. And that means that I can hide in that world. And I think that a lot of people do this because they're afraid that they don't have the gift, they don't have the talent, they don't have what it takes to get good. And so they hide in subjectivity, in the avant-garde, in the uh, you-can't-grade-me place. But I have one bit of encouragement to unlock that and kind of destroy that myth. I believe that when it comes to succeeding in creativity, that skill trumps talent. Is that there are lots of people that were way, way, way more talented than me in college that have not gone where I've gone because, uh, because of working, passion, uh, a dedication to build the skill and get good. And so if you're hiding in that subjectivity, I encourage you, don't, don't believe the lie that you either have what it takes or you don't. That's a fixed mindset. If you are dedicated to getting good, I believe you can learn the skills, the practices, and the ideas to slowly but surely figure out how to be your own type of good within your industry. The second thing I think we hide, uh, why we hide from this pursuit of getting good is because we think that learning the rules and playing by the rules is going to be uh, super lame. It's not going to be super fun. That once you uh, start imposing logic on your creativity, somehow that's going to steal the magic. And I can understand the logic of that thinking, but I would say that's exactly the opposite of true. The more that I have learned to, have attempted to master what I do, the more fun it has been. If you watch somebody, uh, you know, who, you know, they talk about this in, in the idea of the flow state. Like if you watch a musician who has wired their brain to write songs and, and that skill component of what they do takes over their brain and they get into this flow state, there may not be a better, higher joy on this planet than getting into that mode. And I was watching uh, stand-up comedians. I just watched Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, their Netflix specials, uh, and I was just so inspired by watching these people in their flow state, in their storytelling, you know, pulling off these little twists, plot twists and, and storytelling elements in this talk and just so inspired by watching somebody in their mastery and seeing that joy and the fun that comes from learning the rules, playing within the rules, breaking the rules and, and delivering the goods. And I think, so I don't think there's any way to have more fun. Yeah, in the meantime, there are bumps and bruises and there are frustrating parts on that road to getting good. I'm not saying it's always fun, but ultimately I think you end up in a, in a, in a funner place than where you started. Uh, and the last reason why I think we hide is we think it's too late. You know, I talked to Lisa Congdon uh, a few weeks ago. We did an interview that went really, really well. I love Lisa. I was so happy to have her back on the show and, and people have been extremely enthusiastic about that episode of, and of course, because it was, uh, with her and she's amazing, but, uh, she has a new book called a glorious freedom and it's about older women doing extraordinary things. And a lot of these stories are people, uh, older women that have this kind of second act or this, that, and I don't know if that, I don't know, maybe that's not the right term, but just this idea of like, um, having a totally new adventure later in life. And the power of that, you know, someone becoming uh, a doctor at in her 50s, uh, you know, going to medical school and all this kind of stuff. And I think that there's, there's infinite cases and examples of why it's clearly never too late to get on the right path. 
But the, my favorite reason, my favorite way to debunk this myth is this idea of this universal principle of grace that flows and pulses through the universe. And it is something that has been ever present in my life in the most glorious, beautiful way. And it's this idea that if you're in the maze and you take a wrong turn and you're, no matter how far you go on this side road, in this side plot that should have never been, you are going to, I think grace is defined by the fact that you're going to find side items and treasure chests and learn things and grow muscles on those side roads that you would have never grown or achieved or unlocked had you always stayed on the right path. And whenever you're ready to get back on the right path, whenever you're ready to say yes to step one and get good, everything that you uh, accomplished and gathered on that wrong side road will make you better than you could have ever been had you stayed on the right path from the get-go. And to me, the law of grace is saying nothing gets wasted. No mistakes, no failures. And so no matter how far gone you think you are, believe that when you come back to your path, when you're ready to give up at messing around and hiding and get good, that everything that you've been doing can be used for your benefit. And that to me has been so true in my life. Whether it was all the things that happened to me with my mom that I wish had never happened. Um, these things that had that dug a hole out of my heart and, and falling face down on my living room floor when I, was, when I was chased by bill collectors and my illustration career dried up a year or two after I graduated and had tasted my dreams and then got crushed. And another hole was dug out of my heart. Even those things I realized were ultimately turned for my benefit. And I looked at uh, those experiences and realized they're not holes out of my heart, but a well was dug. That that is where I get my capacity. That's where I have this supernatural depth of passion for for living my dream, for helping other people live their dream. This These holes in my heart become a well of capacity that means that I have this depth of energy to go out and help other people and do my best. And it's the reserves that I would have never had had I stayed on the right path and never had pain and never went uh, on the side roads in the first place. And I think it's like uh, this idea that if you're a, if you were a farmer, but you should have been an illustrator, all your years in farming will make you a special type of illustrator that can set you apart in the market. If you, if you figure out how to use it. And so nothing gets wasted. So whatever it is, why ever you might be hiding today, I want to say, give up hiding and say yes to getting good. And I remember when I was lost searching for that stupid tower, I was, I was or coming home from that tower on a side road. I went on so many side roads. I tried so hard to get back uh, to, to my house without giving up, without admitting that I was going the wrong way. I didn't want to face the humiliation of knocking on some random English person's door <laughs> and saying, hey, I don't know where I live, but will you help me find it? I didn't want to face the facts. I don't want to face the music, right? And so uh, I just kept walking and walking and walking. And eventually, when it was in the middle of the night on a pitch black road on a countryside in England, I decided, all right, enough's enough. I'm going to give up. I'm going to wave down a car and just take a leap of faith, try to... I don't know, just see what I can do. Someone can help me somehow. And I did. And I plugged some numbers into this phone of this stranger on the side of the road. 
and I got connected with my dad. And as soon as my dad picked up, I thought, man, he's going to chew me out for being an idiot for <laughs> not, he's a, an amazing man, but it was rational to be like, what are you thinking going on a 10 mile hike in the, uh, countryside without telling anybody, without bringing your phone. Uh, and why didn't you give up earlier? Like it's in the middle of the night. Everybody has no idea where you are. And the truth is all he had for me was grace. And so if you are in a place in your maze with cut off shirt, sweaty blisters on your feet, endlessly hiding, I encourage you to give it up, come out of hiding, say yes to getting good. I hope this jazzed you up and uh, this is the most just understand that step one is the most esoteric of all of the steps it's the most abstract big picture but I genuinely believe it is the most important step um, even though it's the fuzziest and we're gonna get further and further into like the practical practical more actionable steps and that kind of jazz as we go through the process it just gets just think of this process as starting super pie in the sky really big picture and then slowly but surely getting closer and closer to ground level uh, microscopic precision action uh, stuff and that's kind of how it goes so um, man I'm just so glad I get to share this stuff with you now and I hope it is I hope it changes your creative career. I super really do. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it's had some kind of impact on your creative career, there are a few ways you can support the show. If you feel feel like you want to do that, you can review and rate the show on iTunes. You can back the podcast financially at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. You can get some creative pep talk merch at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. Also, you can access the first 100 episodes of the show and stay up to date um, with when the new shows drop by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for some of those other tunes that make this podcast make this podcast sound so mysterious and profound could definitely could not do that without the help of Metavari. If you want to go check out Metavari, go to m e t a v a r i dot com, uh, and you can go check out their tunes. Um, and thanks to Alex Sug for editing the podcast and, and providing some supplementary tunage. We are so thankful for him. I hope this fills up your tank for another week of putting in the time into your creative career. And until we meet again and you're on empty next week, stay pepped up.